This is Focal Point for Wednesday, the 21st of December 2011, the year in review. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Uh, very well. Happy birthday. Thank you. A bit late. <laughs> Only like a couple of days, I hope. It's, it's a week. It's just a ten, week at least. Yeah, well, that's like 10 days. <laughs> a couple of days. Couple unlike, of unlike my dad, who's 75 today. Oh, happy birthday, Mr. Pereira, if you're listening. <laughs> I'll make sure that he listens for once. <laughs> <laughs> so we have had a pretty interesting year, and so what we thought we'd do today is we made some predictions at the start of the year, and we're going to go through those 10 predictions that we made. You made five, Chris, I made five of them, and we'll just review how we went with them. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, let's jump. Let's jump right in. I think let's let's do them in the order in which we uh, made the predictions, and so we took turns doing them. And I started. So the first one, which was actually I think a reasonably easy prediction to make, and one that we got right, was that there's a resurgence of reading. So even though there's um, perhaps a fall in the the publication of printed books, there is a growth in reading because of tablets and. Uh, people reading on phones and people reading in more portable ways. And you, you came up with some numbers, Chris, from, from Amazon. You uh, quoted from their recent fourth quarter results, and they are now selling more Kindle books than, than paperback books, which is probably not that surprising. So probably 15% more uh, Kindle books. For, so for every 115 Kindle books, they're, they're selling 100 paperback books. So we, Kindles, uh, the the e-books have taken over with Amazon and with a number of other places as well. So I think that that's only going to, that's only going to increase. Uh, because people have ways of, people have different ways of reading now, and I think ebooks have been around for a while. Uh, well, certainly hasn't gone mainstream until now. But now that we've got e-readers and iPads and things like that, uh, it's not surprising that we that we have more ebooks now than printed books. And as a result, there's been a resurgence in reading. Is there anything that you want to add to that, Chris? Because you came up with some other stats as well. Yeah, some most recent stats were that Amazon have released their top 100 lists for the end of this year, and comparing the two lists was uh, was interesting because there was very little overlap between the top 100 e-books and the top 100 printed books. So it seems that uh, reading habits uh, are for people who are uh, downloading e-books are quite different from uh, people who are buying printed books. It might be, for instance, that uh, they're sort of stocking up their collections of classic classic e-books, um, ones they want that, that they've read in the past. They're not necessarily reading them, but getting their hands on them, as well as as other differences in habit. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting about the difference between the type of you know, printed versus e-books. Uh, I know we're not talking about trends yet, but I think one of the trends that we're going to see is shorter books. Because uh, until now, it's actually cost money to print a book, so literally cost nothing to publish uh, a copy of an e-book. I think we're going to see books in the 100, 120, 140 page range now. In fact, that's one of the things that I'll be doing next year, publishing more books like that. So they're, they're shorter books, they're more hard to, but they cover a single topic and uh, in detail, but they're, they're not as broad, but they're much, uh, they're much more in-depth. Okay, right. The second uh, prediction that we made at the beginning of this year was one of mine, and it was email is dead, not. And it was based on <laughs> a rumour that I'd heard from friends of mine at, uh, over the last Christmas holidays that uh, email was uh, was sort of uh, so last century and uh, no one was going to be using it once. Uh, y generation and the I generation uh, started uh, running uh, running industries and, and the way that they communicate is through social media and texting. They don't really use email and therefore 
uh, emails days were numbered. But I, I beg to differ. I don't think that is the case. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to dig up any uh, hard numbers to, um, to refute uh, refute that uh, particular claim. But um, uh, more recently, uh, there's there's been um, a bit of uh, controversy, I suppose you could call it, stirred up by Thierry Breton, who's uh, the CEO of a company called Atos. And he set about getting rid of email for all internal communications. And uh, some people have called him an idiot, and others have called him a genius. Um, and I'm sort of somewhere in the middle. I think I think it's a mistake to replace email uh, entirely for internal communication. And, and Thierry Breton uh, also concedes it's a fabulous tool for external communication for, uh, for organisations. And he also said that in their analysis of internal communication by email, that about 15% of those uh, internal communications by email were useful. So I think he's risking throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, by getting rid of it entirely. But um, uh, I think that's about right. I think the way that people tend to use email is is wrong. They don't use it properly. Only about uh, 15% in the case of Atos is uh, correct use of email, which is for uh, deferred, non-urgent communication. But unfortunately, people use it for all kinds of things. They use it for general information sharing. They use it for sharing documents by sending attachments to people. When there are these days, we have so many other electronic communications channels available to us that we should be using other things like wikis and blogs for knowledge sharing and uh, things like um, document sharing services for, send, for sharing documents with each other rather than sending them as attachments. So um, I don't think email is dead and I don't think we should be getting rid of it entirely because it is a fabulous, it is the best electronic communications tool that we have available for uh, deferred, non-urgent communication. I think the other point to make, Chris, is going back to your original prediction, your prediction was specifically about business communication. So it wasn't saying that uh, email was dead at all in every type of communication. And uh, I think it's certainly true that in some personal communication, um, especially the, the Gen Ys and younger, are using things like Facebook and SMS and things like that, some of the more modern tools uh, or some of the newer tools, much more than they're using email. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that email has no place in business and in fact, as you say, it still does have a very important place as long as people learn how to use it properly. Yeah, which is something we talk about in our uh, out-of-office book. We've got uh, quite a a significant section of the book devoted to um, using email productively, both uh, consuming email or receiving messages and also sending messages. Yep, and I think the, an example of just how poorly people use email is that I've taken little extracts of that, the, some of those extracts from the book and published it on my blog and in an email newsletter. And it's amazing what feedback I've got saying, wow, this is really useful stuff, yeah. simply because people haven't thought about email that way. And so they, they think of it as a, as a burden and an interruption. It doesn't have to be that way, and there are ways to use it better. And so whilst email is not dead, Kihan, Google Wave is dead. And... I don't know whether it was that just that Google Wave was uh, ahead of its time, but it was this, it was an idea that Google came up with where they wanted to integrate all of these different electron, electronic communication channels that we have, so email and wikis and instant messages and social networks into a single protocol and a single tool so that we just had a single tool that we'd used and we'd be able to quite easily choose uh, the correct channel for our communications rather than, okay, I'm doing a wiki, now I have to go to a web page or I'm using email, now I have to open up Outlook or Firefox 
or Thunderbird, I should say, or um, I want to send an instant message, so I have to open up whatever communicate IM communications tool I have. They integrated it all under one protocol and one tool, um, and it was uh, singularly unsuccessful. So it's kind of a weird allegory that uh, I think it's a good example of just how unused to using electronic communications tools people or businesses and, and people in general are. Yep, and a good example of how Google's terrible at marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, so we, we might even talk about that when we get to Google+, Plus, but that's, that's coming up. Um, so the next one, number three on our list of ten, was uh, what I call the power of crowds, uh, if not the wisdom of crowds. And this is because about 12 months ago, this time last year, was when big sites like Groupon.com really started coming to the fore. And they started becoming very popular. These were the deal of the day sites where there would be a, a single deal offered per day and uh, sites like Groupon would have a deal with a particular retailer or some sort of service provider and lots of people would subscribe and they would get a special deal of the day and uh, Groupon was the biggest in the US and now there have been a whole bunch of others including a number in Australia and I really did think this was going to be a trend, this was going to be something where uh, the problem with the internet is connecting the suppliers with the, with the customers um, and even though that's become easy in some ways, in some other ways it's not so easy. So I was expecting the, this Groupon and the deal of the day size to become really, really big. And to some extent, they have been, uh, but not as big as I expected them to be. And I thought that that would really revolutionize the whole idea of internet marketing and email marketing and the fact that people would love being part of a community, part of a tribe that would get these deals every day. Um, as it turned out, Groupon did decide to go on their own after they turned down a big offer from Google. And it was the second biggest uh, public launch in tech history, so just behind Google. So Google was $1.7 billion on their day of their IPO, and uh, Groupon was $700 million, which is, which is still very, very big. But they've, they haven't been doing so well recently, and their share price has dropped recently. And more importantly, as far as we're concerned, I, I think that those deal of the day sites – Maybe because there's so many of them, but they and, and they're still very popular, but they haven't had as big an impact as I thought they would. So, Gihan, do you think that, as you say, it hasn't revolutionised email marketing? Do you think it is just because uh, it hasn't been the revolution that you thought it was, or has it been a case of it's such an easy kind of model to imitate, and there are dozens of these imitators, as you've mentioned, and so much so that one of my high school buddies, John, set up one called Crikey, although he's rebranded it Sure Deal in the past week or so. Do you think it's just that there are so many that it's watered down the effect? I know that I subscribed to several and I just found it so overwhelming that I gave up. So do you think that's part of the problem or do you just think it wasn't the revolution you thought it was going to be? Uh, yeah, look, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, I guess that is part of it. Where, uh, Yeah, I did. I subscribed to a whole bunch of them as well and now only I unsubscribed to all but two. So I get two emails a day, maybe three actually, from three sites that I bought stuff from. Yeah, I think, I think it, though, like to be fair, I was expecting it to be more of a revolution. I thought that this would be the new way that retail worked. And perhaps some of the bigger retailers, they just haven't jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, they haven't realized how much of a risk their business is at. The next prediction that I made at the beginning of the year was regarding Facebook. I said that Facebook is the social network. And I've rated myself a win as far as Facebook's concerned but uh, a fail as far as seeing Google Plus uh, coming coming to the fore. In fact, at the beginning of the year, I can't remember my exact words, but Google was saying that they weren't really going to go head-to-head against Facebook. They sort of, uh, or instead they were going to kind of amalgamate all their different products, their online products, into a kind of proxy social network, and they were going to integrate them in some way, and you'd have this kind of 
they'd be able to infer a social network from your activities in search and Gmail and any of the other, and Blogger, for instance. Uh, so I don't know if they were, you know, playing their cards really close to their chest and trying to throw people off the scent, because then they came out with Google+, which, as far as I can see, is pretty much going head-to-head against Facebook. So, yeah, I got a definite fail on that one. But nonetheless, Facebook still is the social network. It still dominates uh, all of the other social networks to the uh, to the extent that MySpace in Australia closed down shortly after our uh, initial podcast at the beginning of the year. Uh, things like um, uh, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers found that Facebook was being cited in one in five divorces in the United <laughs> States. I'm surprised that it's as low as one in five. <laughs> Um, and also, at the, and maybe not surprisingly, as a consequence of that, Facebook was rated as one of the most hated companies by uh, people surveys, surveyed in the United States. So it still does dominate um, the social network scene, but Google Plus has come along and there was an initial uh, huge flurry of uh, um, interest in it. I don't know the numbers, Gihan, I don't know if you can recall them, but uh, they went to some tens of millions of subscribers in a very short amount of time. But I've not seen some recent numbers, and I get the feeling that perhaps it's it's starting to plateau and maybe has run out of steam, that that initial flurry of interest has uh, has come to an end. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is, is that whenever Google executives are asked about it, they're very cagey about the actual numbers, and they're talking more about things like volume of engagement and some of these things where they can't so they can't be held to account uh, completely mm-hmm. head to head. And I think you're right that it certainly the numbers have plateaued. I have a lot of I still am quite optimistic about Google Plus. Uh, I have a lot of hope for it because I think that uh, the more people use Google Plus, the easier it is going to be for people to search and find relevant results on Google. And I think the biggest advantage the biggest advantage that Google Plus has is not any of the features in this in the product itself, but the fact that it's owned by Google. I think Google could, if they wanted to, uh, make a really big push to Google Plus by just basically saying to all businesses, if like we're going to give you very very high priority to what you do on Google Plus as far as your search engine ranking goes. Uh, I think that's going to happen anyway, and uh, if Google wanted to, they could really push that. Oh yeah, I see. Okay. So we'll just keep uh, watch this space as far as Google Plus is concerned. Indeed. Okay, so the next one, which was uh, talking about Out of Office, so coming back to the topic of our book, Chris, the Out of Office book, um, this was, I guess, a pretty easy prediction to make, which was that there'd be more Out of Office workers uh, and people are moving, becoming more portable portable because of technology, people are becoming more demanding of having a better home working environment, which means which includes working from home, um, and it's, I think, an inevitable move. And perhaps the only thing that could have slowed us down a little bit, or maybe even took us backwards, would have been the idea that there's a recession in some parts of the world, and so employers would be caring less about what their employees think, and just saying, look, you're lucky you've got a job, so just make the make the most of it. But despite that, we have seen an increase in out-of-office uh, out office working environments, and, and for obvious reasons, because you can save time, you can reduce expenses. In fact, in the book, we, we quote a couple of resources, which uh, some, some surveys, U.S. surveys, that said that, you know, if you, even if you're a part-time telecommuter, you could save an hour a day in uh, in travel time, which you can then use in, uh, for other for other things, and you could save thousands of dollars a year just by working from home. Um, there was an Australian survey that we um, that we reported from 2010, where half 
uh, half of the people surveyed in the tech industry said they'd consider taking a pay cut in exchange for having more flexible working hours. So all of those things, uh, even in a tough economy, uh, were going to lead to more out-of-office workers. So I reckon that we should rate that one as a win. Me too. <laughs> and the next one's kind of related to that, isn't it? Because it's, yes, it's, uh, it is, because it's also a win. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my prediction that um, regarding enterprise cloud computing, uh, and that was that we were going to see more private packaged cloud services aimed at enterprise customers. What that means is that there hasn't been a significant uptake of cloud computing by large corporations because they're still a bit wary about things like security and availability of their data and uptime of these services, and with good reason. But my prediction was that that was going to change, that, uh, that the service providers were going to chase uh, the, the enterprise customer. And during the year, uh, certain uh, service providers did release services that uh, went after that, that business sector. So, for instance, Amazon, who have uh, uh, what, what they call Amazon Web Services and Elastic Computing Services, both of them are cloud computing services, they released a product called Elastic Beanstalk, terrible name, but nonetheless, uh, that was aimed at um, providing services that were more attractive to uh, to uh, enterprise customers. And at the same time, another big service provider, Rackspace, extended their cloud services uh, into the European uh, into European data centres, so that uh, European customers could uh, meet their regulatory requirements. So that's another. Another um, issue that enterprise customers face is that they've got certain regulatory uh, strictures that they that they have to abide by, and so when it comes to using a cloud service, they need to do things in certain ways. And so Rackspace have stepped up to the plate and and uh, help their customers uh, achieve that. Similarly, Windows uh, re- they uh, released a service called Intune, which allows you to use the cloud to uh, monitor all of your, manage all of your organization's PC desktops uh, and uh, clients. And then in the the US, the government enacted a cloud-first policy for their federal agencies, which meant that uh, new IT projects had to uh, look into the prospect of using the cloud for any, uh, any of their IT services. And as a consequence, or perhaps as a consequence, Amazon uh, came out with a new thing called GovCloud, hoping to capture some of the, those federal agencies looking to use um, use the cloud. And finally, one of your favourite products, Kihan, Dropbox, uh, they recognised that um, some of their enterprise customers are going to be a bit wary about uh, their staff using things like Dropbox to put sensitive information up into the cloud. And so uh, they've released a product called Dropbox for Teams that uh, addresses some of those concerns so that... Uh, um, corporate clients can be more comfortable using things like Dropbox. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a really good example of where there's a there's a service that was really released for the public and for smaller businesses, and they've just recognised the importance of having an enterprise version as well. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely count that as a win, Chris. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> so my next one is also a win, but maybe again one that I was slightly disappointed with the outcome, which was that I, I predicted that 2011 would be the year of the tablet, given that uh, Apple launched its uh, iPad uh, the, uh, last year, and uh, go- given already that Google's Android operating system was pretty well established in the in the marketplace, I wasn't. Uh, I was quite expecting to see quite a lot of Android tablets being released as well, and that the, the tablets would. Fairly rapidly, I wouldn't expect it to overtake 
laptops and desktop computers, but I thought it would have a, a, a bigger proportion of users using them in favour of laptop, uh, laptop or desktop computers. So that has, has happened to some extent, but perhaps not as much as I expected, and to some extent not as much as I was hoping for either. Uh, part of it's because Apple has been very aggressive in trying to litigate, yeah, use the courts to try and stop some of the Android competitors. Uh, so Apple and Samsung have been in a big bun fight, which Samsung, in Australia, which Samsung has recently won, although it may be too late now. So Samsung's newest Galaxy tablet uh, is available, but it may be too late for the Christmas rush, so who knows what's going to happen there. But there's a whole bunch of other competitors as well. And uh, the big problem has been that uh, so the iPad has, has a lot of apps that have been written specifically for the iPad, but the, in the, on the Android operating system, there aren't as many tablet-specific uh, apps. So all the phone apps will work, but there aren't as many tablet-specific apps. So perhaps that's hindered the growth as well. Um, I would like to see, and I, I still think that 2012 might be the year when tablets really come into their own. However, I've also seen a report recently, Chris, that suggested that maybe tablets have had their day and the newer smartphones are going to have so many of the features that's going with so much overlap that people aren't going to want to carry around both a smartphone and a tablet. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Um, because the the formats are just so different. The the you know the size and the the the, uh, the screen size, for instance, are, are quite different. I'm I'm really surprised by that. So time will tell, Gihan. That's yeah, and I, I I agree. And maybe you know like you think about okay, well, a, a smartphone maybe a slightly bigger slightly bigger screens than the ones that we've got at the moment with a blue, with a keyboard. Uh, will that be the equivalent of a tablet? I, I don't think so. Uh, in fact, the newer tablets seem to be more the bigger iPad size uh, rather than the size that I like, which is the, the Samsung tel- tablet that I've got at the moment, which is more like paperbook. Oh, size. you like the seven-inch sort yeah. of format? Yeah, much okay. the seven-inch ones, the ten-inch ones. So the trend seems to be going to the bigger size, which is the, the iPad size. But uh, so that seems to be against what this 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 other guy was predicting. Uh, if people are, do want to have the bigger screen and the bigger tablet and still light enough, uh, then they're not going to be happy with just a phone and a keyboard. Yeah, or maybe that. Yeah, because next, they've got the Asus Transformer, for instance, which has, uh, which is a bit like a laptop because it comes with a docking keyboard, and they've brought out a new one uh, using the next generation chip for what's come out this month, I think. So maybe they're aiming at, as you say, replacing netbooks and laptops rather than replacing your phone. Yeah, and that, that, that would be the logical next step. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm seriously considering one of those Asus Transformers, not only because, not only the one with the docking keyboard, but even the one with the swivel keyboard that's built into it. Uh, I played around oh, with one yeah. of those at JB Hi-Fi, and it looked pretty good. It, it yep. felt good. So you'd have the screen and the keyboard for when you want to do serious um, word processing or edit- editing. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think you're being hard on yourself, Gihan. I think uh, there's been some significant initiatives to, to take up iPads. I think you had maybe your expectations were a bit too high, that's all. Since I know uh, that um, uh, there was a pilot at uh, Trinity College at the Uni of Melbourne to give uh, iPads, uh, in, in, that, in that case, uh, to, to everybody uh, and um, do away with textbooks and documentation, I know that uh, a UK government department worked out that uh, they would get rid of all of their printers uh, and have zero printing costs and give everyone uh, a tablet of some sort, maybe an iPad. And um, that, the, the, the cost of having zero printing, no paper, no printers, no uh, people coming around fixing the jammed printers every week, 
would uh, more than pay for the cost of giving everyone an iPad, and when they wanted to take documentation to meetings, they would take uh, their tablet or their iPad to the meetings. And I don't know whether that was um, followed through, but certainly the analysis showed that that was, uh, that was a, an economically smart thing to do. Okay, so well, we'll see whether 2012 turns out to be um, see a bigger growth in that area. Yep. Okay, and sticking with uh, mobile platforms, I gave myself a soft win on the next prediction I made regarding mobile trends, which was that Android would dominate uh, the smartphone market and the smartphones would become even smarter and become the default for mobile phones. So I got a soft win for that because, as it happened, uh, the fourth quarter sales figures came out just after that podcast and demonstrated that Android had already become the top-selling operating system for mobile phones. So even as I was making the predict- prediction, it had come true, uh, just that the, the, the actual survey results hadn't come out yet. Also, during the year, smartphones did become smarter. They got uh, faster chips and better screens and uh, improvement in uh, usage as well. A new version of the Android operating system was released, Honeycomb. Uh, that was also released on tablets. But I did see during the year and wasn't able to uh, dig out for this particular review podcast uh, the percentage of mobile phones on in the marketplace that were smartphones. And it demonstrated that there was a clear... Uh, a clear majority to just what are called, I think they're called feature phones, which is non-smartphones. Um, so there's still a lot of ground to be claimed by the various manufacturers of smartphones to try and um, uh, try and dominate market share, because still uh, the, the majority of, uh, of mobile phones are, uh, earlier in the year were not smartphones. So there's still uh, a lot of competition to be had, and Nokia, for some reason, decided to uh, go with Windows Phone 7 operating system, which I've heard good things about, but they're so far behind the game, I'm wondering if, if they, they bet on a losing horse. Yeah, and I wonder whether that's just an alliance between somebody who's really good at hardware, phone hardware, which is Nokia, and somebody who's got dominance in a, in a software platform, which is Microsoft, and whether they're hoping that, that that marriage will bring together the best of both rather than the worst of both. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. And I think a lot of money was uh, – there was a lot of money uh, dangled before Nokia to accept that deal as well. Yeah, and I think you made a really, really important point there, Chris, which is that even though most of the stats that you see will be comparing um, Apple's iOS with Android and with the demise of BlackBerry and the demise of the Nokia Symbian operating system, still, we're still talking about a minority of the market there, and the the real wins are still to be made with the people who don't yet have a smartphone and who are going to buy their very first smartphone. Yep. Okay, so the the last prediction that I made uh, was, uh, I think, the biggest win for me in all the predictions that I made, which is that this was the year that e-commerce was going to across the tipping points is where online selling has really is really going to go mainstream and it's going to uh, become a real threat to the traditional brick-and-mortar retails. And that's exactly the way it's turned out. And I guess we've seen this coming for a while, uh, Chris, because we've been working in this area for a while, but this is the year where it really became the time when uh, consumers realized that buying stuff online, whether they were buying it uh, within Australia or internationally, was not as scary as they thought it was going to be. They weren't going to get ripped off every time they gave their credit card over the internet. And so suddenly there's been a huge push and a a huge switch towards online retailing. And it is happening that Australian retailers in particular are really facing stiff competition. And just in the last couple of days, the big retailers like David Jones, um, Maya, in consumer electronics, uh, JB Hi-Fi, are really reporting that even the traditional Christmas uh, rush and the Christmas sales aren't going to be enough to 
to tide them over and to get them to the same levels as they've had in previous years. And a lot of that is because of online selling and online re- online competition. It is, is it, Gihan? I saw there was a news item uh, last night on the TV news which said that uh, the uh, traditional retailers were optimistic that they'd have a slightly better Christmas than last year and that online had a, a lot to do with uh, the struggle they were, they were having. Um, uh, and one of the factors was the strong Aussie dollar meant that uh, buying stuff from overseas online retailers was uh, an attractive proposition, as well as all the other things that we've talked about in the past, like the convenience. That's uh, even more of a factor. But um, they didn't quote any hard numbers, and it was the TV news, so I'm usually sceptical. <laughs> yeah, and maybe in the podcast notes, I'll include a couple of links just from the last couple of days from uh, the online news sources, which just say that these retailers really are, aren't ex- are pretty pessimistic, actually. So maybe the online news is trying to drum up sales. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> for their advertisers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's round this up, round things out with uh, the final prediction, which I made uh, at the beginning of the year. I gave myself another win, Gihan, doing well, uh, which was on politics. I called it a tangled web. And I said basically that the Internet was going to be increasingly used uh, or was going to increasingly become a political battlefield, that governments around the world would attempt to censor and regulate the Internet whilst political activists were going to create and use the Internet as a tool for mobilising their, their particular causes. And this was at a time, at the beginning of the year, was at a time when uh, we had the, the beginning of the, the Arab Spring. So the, the revolution in Tunisia, followed by Egypt, and then later in the year, followed by Europe, uh, Europe? <laughs> yet to come, followed by um, Libya, and then pl- places like Bahrain and Yemen were still uh, undergoing turmoil. But in each of, the, each of those cases, uh, the activists were using the internet to to, uh, to mobilise their cause, whilst the governments, in response, were uh, censoring the internet in an attempt to shut down those 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 particular movements. And then, more recently, the Occupy movement has also spread across the world, and, and they famously have used uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook and other social networks as a means of uh, mobilising their particular causes. So, uh, that was probably a fairly easy prediction to make, but it's because uh, the internet has become interwoven so much into the fabric of our daily lives that it's really no surprise that it's become part of uh, political part of politics as well. Well, and I think like you mentioned Europe and uh, as a mistake, but uh, I think you didn't mention the London riots, and there was okay. a lot of talk at the time about how uh, people were using the BlackBerry network. To, to coordinate and mobilise themselves to to coordinate those riots, and uh, that did lead to the UK government having having talks with some of the internet service providers and the smartphone providers, and finding out ways or discussing ways that they could perhaps regulate or what we'd call censor uh, and take control of the internet to prevent those sort of things from happening. Yes, you're right. I completely forgot about that one, so I'll chalk that up as another win, Gihan. <laughs> yes. And uh, and most recently in the US has been the uh, the SOPA Stop Online Piracy Act which uh, is a move by lobbyists from the uh, the movie and uh, music industries to uh, have even more draconian uh, laws enacted to enable them to shut down and censor websites that are committing piracy. But, of course, um, it's the thin end of the wedge. It'll probably be as unsuccessful as the other um, legislation that they've lobbied for, but it'll just make uh, the Internet uh, a more broken place uh, than it is. 
Yeah, that's that's right. And this is just the the latest in a long series of battles that they've tried to that they've tried to uh, fight to try and get control of the internet. And I'm not against the idea that uh, you should stop online piracy. It's just it seems that everything that they're proposing uh, is to it's to try and stop this without any sort of due process. So the the people that they allege have committed crimes uh, don't really don't really get the due process that they deserve. Indeed. So there we are, Gihan. That's a, a pretty good um, set of predictions. Uh, yeah, and I think given uh, given that we were rating it ourselves, we still got quite a few. We, we got quite a few wins, uh, and I think some of them were easy, but some of them were not. Everyone would have predicted at the start of the year, so I think we did pretty well. Indeed, and we'll be doing the same thing or a similar thing in our next podcast in January 2012. We'll uh, we'll start by start the year by. Um, predicting trends, but we're going to focus next year uh, and beyond on um, our out-of-office uh, book and topic, so focusing on things like telecommuting and telework and uh, those kinds of things. So we'll, uh, so our trends that we predict next year will be more on the out-of-office topic. Yeah, that's right. In fact, we're going to rebrand the whole podcast, so rather than the Focal Point podcast with a very broad range of a broad scope, we're going to focus on, we're going to call it the Art of Office podcast and focus, as you said, Chris, on things like telecommuting, working from home, independent business owners, working from internet cafes and wherever. So we look forward to that next year. Yes, likewise, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I've had a great time doing the Focal Point podcast with you this year, Gihan, and in previous years. So I wish you all the best for Christmas and speak with you in 2012. Will do, Chris, and uh, best wishes for a safe and happy Christmas for you and your family and for all our listeners as well. Indeed. Thanks, Chris. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes, or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.